0: Hey, psst! Pamilla Café. Ba, café tolenatora. This is Pamilla Café, Haki's own radio show and podcast. On the air, 5pm Tuesdays on 3XY Radio Elas and streaming anytime you like on iTunes and Spotify.
1: Pamilla Café is all about celebrating ordinary Greeks, Greek Australians, Australians, Hellenes and Fellolines who are doing extraordinary things. Πάμε για καφέ, μια προσφορά του χάκι, το ελληνικό,
2: αυστραλιανό, εμπορικό και βιομηχανικό επιμελητήριο. Hey, ps,
1: πάμε για καφέ, για κάπεδα κι λέω, σε εσάς καλέ το λέω. Hey, ps, πάμε για καφέ,
2: για κάπεδα κι λέω, σε εσάς καλέ το λεό.
0: Welcome to another week of Pamiya Fair here on 3XY at Adiolas and streaming via the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. My name's Tom Andronis and uh, joining me in the booth here as they do each week, Mr Alex Ninnis and Mr Peter Magnatis.
1: Dudes, how are you? Oh, very, very good, Tom. How are you?
0: Very you well. Call you spatter, Tom. How are you? Very well. <laughs> how's, the, uh, how's the week been? Not been a great week for the Collingwood
1: Football Club, uh, and uh, hasn't been a good week for the Melbourne Football Club. So, uh, yeah, well, you know. look, I think that there's scales of uh, of bad. You know, we we do have something in common though. We, we both lost by a point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> but, it, but it, was a, it was a
2: different point loss, I would suspect, because like we're we given any chance of even being close to a point against the premiership favourites, I don't think so. So the headlines change just because of one point. Yeah, I mean, okay. seriously, like okay. you know, if it went the other way, then like uh, we're saying how wonderful Collie uh, would come from the brink of despair and the rest of it. But now, but the, but the despair is still there, regardless of whether you win or lose, right? No, but that, it comes off the front page, though. It's yeah. all about headlines. Yeah, you, but the, you the, get one the, little win, and everyone thinks, "Oh, yeah." Well, Leave him alone for a bit. The
0: front page headline this week is about extra general meetings, or what do they <laughs> call it? extraordinary general meetings, and those sorts of things. Have you two, you two are Legends Club members, aren't you? you have you signed the petition? Uh,
1: no, I think you need to actually uh, attend the football to sign a petition. <laughs> and neither Peter or I were there. Were there no, have yesterday? You heard of,
0: there's a thing called the internet. You can sign it on the internet.
1: Yeah, that. I know, but uh, you know, I, I'm an, an old school sort of person. You know, if I want to register my disgust, I like to do it in person with with, <laughs> with pen and paper. You know, it just you, you know, there's. I mean, how hard can you press a key? You know, uh, an enter key. To, mm. to record your uh, your you know d- concern about something it needs to be with a pen and paper and then you put at the end ah, there, you know <laughs> and you can fill in the blanks right um hey talk about talk about sport though um i watched the um, phil mickelson win the um the uspga and he was the, the oldest ever player to win a uh, a major.
0: How early in the morning did you have to get up to watch that? Oh, I,
1: I've been. <laughs> I think I started watching it at about two o'clock in the morning. Right. Uh, and when uh, did you finish watching it? Um, it was about ten. Two thirty. Right. Uh, ten. Right. And I was watching all the post-game interviews and so forth. How? On earth? I
0: mean, golf is difficult to watch at the best of times. How on earth did you stay awake in the middle of the night
1: to watch golf? I didn't say I was awake. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I watch golf because it puts me to sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, it was just. Um, I just was thinking about some miraculous wins, and oh. um, obviously, you know, there was the the uh, the Australian skater uh, whose name escapes me, Stephen Bradbury, Stephen Bradbury, and so forth. Well, he's become folklore now. He's has become he? folklore, yeah. and I, I love every time I watch that 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 you know that that video of him winning. I just I just love it. But but then I was thinking, well, two thousand and four, when when Greece won the Euro, yeah. Um, Well, this week we're we're having a film that is coming out called King Otto. Mm. And I don't know, have you booked tickets to go yet or not? Not. I've seen the the previews. Isn't it amazing? Mm. I don't know anything about it. What is it? Oh, okay. So it's about um, Otto Rahagel, who was the the German coach of the the Greek team when they won. And it's about the story of how he took them from being a good team to a team of champions, you know, uh, European champions, when it was never, ever. In the contemplation of, of anyone that they would ever, ever get there uh, and win the uh, the Euro in two thousand and four, and I just cannot wait to see it. I've seen the, the you know the trailer of it, but then I'm I'm thinking of what other sort of sporting events um, have have sort of raised that that level of, of 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 amazing sort of you know heights in terms of you know winning when you least expect to win.
0: I, I maintain that the. The, the greatest moment in Australian sport uh, was John Aloisi slotting that penalty um, to get us into the World Cup. Mm. I, yeah. I still see that today and get chills. You mm. know, it, it pops up on Instagram. It feels like every second day, but I still,
2: I mean, you we know, tried to get there so many times.
0: Yeah, I, I and I mean, the great irony of that is that we didn't actually win anything. You know, we just went and qualified. Played, we, we qualified for a World Cup, so to, to say that it's the greatest moment in Australian sport is probably ridiculous, but. But for me, you know, that, that feeling of getting through and, you know, watching him wave his jumper above his head and the crowd going crazy, you know, that I reckon that was one of the best moments
2: in sport by yeah, a long way. And there were many failures to be able to get to that point. I still remember maybe every Melbourneian was there, 1999 at the MCG against Iran, I think it was, and we were 2-0 up and I was there with my dad and, and my brother and, uh, and looking over to them and saying, my God, I can't believe Australia is going to finally get into the, the World Cup you know, finals. Yeah. And then this stupid guy <laughs> that decides to run on the ground and be a pest, our, uh, our perpetual pest, yeah. just made the whole game go cold. And they, they slotted two goals very quickly, and everyone was just stunned. 100,000 people at the MCG just stunned. It's like, mm. what just happened? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, which made later on, like you're saying, the Luisi uh, qualification even much sweeter.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I was actually there. I was at, uh, at um, Stadium Australia. Stadium Australia, Australia that night. Wow. And it was extraordinary. Um, you know, I mean, the people hugging, kissing each other—I have no idea who they were. <laughs> um, we wouldn't be doing uh, that today, uh, would you? Uh, no, no. Well, well, no. Well, certainly wouldn't be. Uh, well, maybe a little bit. You know, maybe <laughs> some high fives or something like that. But, yeah. um, but I was there. And it was the most extraordinary night. And you know, leaving the stadium, everyone was just singing, and you know, everyone was just so elated. It was just extraordinary. Um. And look, the other one I, I think of is—I know it's not my football team—but when when the Western Bulldogs mm. won the, won the mm. premiership yep. after yeah, I don't know fifty so odd years, years or mm. something. I mean that was because they weren't. I mean, where were they on the ladder? Seventh. Yeah. The year
2: before they were se- no no they were thirteenth because like they won it from thirteenth and then the following year Richmond won
1: it by thirteenth and we were like sixty seconds from winning it from thirteenth. Unbelievable. 13th. That's it's incredible. <laughs> you know, seriously, but, we were. Thir- but it just—it just goes to show. I mean, how, how sport is such a big part of of our life. But it's also big business. I mean, at the end of the day, we represent hockey, and it's a chamber of commerce. I'd love to see, you know, what, what hockey the hockey games. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe it'd be more, more like chess. And uh, in fact, what would the hockey games have? You'd have chess, obviously, because it's a very. You'd have great dancing. Yeah, you'd have. Well, you'd have. Well, you certainly have. Uh, you have weightlifting but you instead of um, having weights you have like two a big bar with two and cares of you know feta cheese on either side <laughs> <or> something <laughs> lifting the feta cheese the komboloy championships the komboloy mm. championships yeah you know the fastest komboloy in the west um, but i'm i'm just thinking just how important sport is um, for us not only as as um, you know to participate but also to, to to celebrate and to and to follow you know and to support
0: well, Peter, your
2: mate
1: Titi Bus. Yes,
2: I've got it on the Instagrams, of
0: selfies. It's real. You've met him. It's your mates. It's 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 on the socials. We exchange stuff.
2: Yeah, it's right. Facebook official. Yeah. So he's had he's had a win, which is nice. Yeah, he's he's having been having a few wins lately, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, and it comes back to like what we were just talking about then is that that whole national pride thing of like one being happy for the individual in what they're doing, but then this whole notion of our of our you know football team or our countrymen doing different things and us feeling a connection to that of like our tribe being successful it's an interesting concept is that
0: is is he sorry is um, stephanos titipas do do you think that that the greek people in greece have that sense of pride like is he a uh, is he a legend over there or does no one know who he is because he plays tennis
1: No, no 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 they know him incredibly well i mean he's um he and i think also his um is it his sister or his Yep. Girlfriend, or the, the, anyway, they, they're, they're a, a an incredible family. Um, and their father was um, was a, apparently a, a very handy tennis player as well. Mm. And he's produced this, his progeny had just been, you know, amazing world um, beaters, world beaters, absolutely.
0: Well, he, uh, Stephanos, in particular, seems to be a uh, he seems to be legit, yeah, you know, like he's yeah.
1: not. And, not and a we've got a few, you know, champion players, uh, you know, of Greek origin in Australia, as you know, um, Kokonakis and. All the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, talking about uh, Greeks in sport, um, uh, what about, did we cover this last, last week? But about Greeks in AFL. You know, the, you know, the days we used to have, you know, the Kudafides's and the Anne, you know, the Chris. Christos. Um, uh, Christos and yeah. the Marcus and all. The Romboduses. Romboduses and. The, uh, Frangalis, the Yeah, the Frangalis, Malachaluses. The Richards. You know, like I was watching, uh, I was watching yesterday um, the Collingwood Port Adelaide game, and there was one Greek there, uh, Georgiades, and then on the other side you had Dacos. When you know, I know they refer to themselves as Macedonians, but at the end of the day, they came from Vevi, which is a, you know a, a village in Florida. So I, I treat them as Greeks; they can say whatever they like, <laughs> but they are definitely from 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 that part of the town. But where are those those dynasties of of, of, of Greek? champions out there in, in the AFL.
0: Yeah, I, I, I reckon I can answer that question for you. Yes. you're playing Call of Duty on a PlayStation somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: You know. Uh or or, or soccer obviously, <laughs> you know, the, the real football. Yeah, um, that maybe. Um
0: but, but there um, are so many more
1: options these days for kids. Yeah. And just the sports, yeah. And then yeah.
0: football uh football's a brutal game, you know. It AFL's is a brutal, a brutal game. game. You can get hit from any angle at any time and and the injuries as we're seeing now with, you know, concussion and that sort yeah. of stuff. Uh it's going to be a real turnoff for the game, and they're going to have to do some something about you know protecting you guys, juniors.
1: Do you guys watch uh, rugby league at all? <sighs> I, I love it. I, it's it's a, it's an amazing game to watch, but it is incredibly brutal as well. But uh, because I lived in Sydney for you know fourteen years, I I used to watch it a lot, and um, I still love watching it. And of course, you know Melbourne Storm are just a, a brilliant team. Yeah, I watched
2: the grand final when Melbourne Storms in. Yeah, yeah.
1: but um, <laughs> just the 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 level of punishment these guys get. It's just extraordinary. Um, yeah, nah. I'm, I'm surprised. A lot of them, you know, nah. uh, nah. no, nah. you know, no, nah. a lot of them can't put two words together. Yeah, nah.
0: no, no, nah. nah. not interested. Hey, hey, you two. Uh, I think we've mentioned in the in the past. Uh, you both qualify for a COVID jab, don't you? At this stage, are you in this current cohort that's allowed to go and get one?
2: Oh, I've had mine. Oh, you've had yours. My first one, absolutely. Peter, I'm on the way of booking mine. Oh, as we speak, I'm on the way yes, to booking yes, mine yes, eventually, yes. one eventually. Maybe
1: one day Peter, or Peter's for you know. You know you in day. energy, You know. It's different. <laughs> <you laughs> nah,
2: not at all. I um, I I'm focused to get my first jab as can soon as possible. Can you please?
1: Yeah. Can you
0: please go and get it? Yeah. And look make your own medical decisions, obviously, but, like, can you encourage everyone that's currently allowed to go get it to please go get it so that the rest of us can go get it <laughs> a little bit sooner? Because, mm. you, you know, you read stories about, um, you know, the the mass vaccination hubs sitting there empty, you know, day yeah. after day.
1: Just get on with it, people. Mm. Just get on with it. Well, I think we should, you know, as patriots, because I, I I treat the AstraZeneca, which is, which is what the vaccine I got, I actually treat that as a... a as a Greek vaccine because of Astra. You know, Astra and Zeneca sounds like a, a, a sort of a Greek island. Isn't the boss you know?
0: of Pfizer a Greek bloke? Yes, he is.
1: I yeah. think he is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's um, – actually, he's interesting. He's a Greek Jew. Oh. He's a, a, a Greek but of Jewish background. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, he's, um, he's a legend. Absolute legend. Well, he's done, done all right at Pfizer, obviously. Yeah. Actually, talking about religion, can I just say, I went to my, my godson's wedding on the weekend – and I, I really paid close attention to the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And because I've been to, you know, I'm, I'm married a non-Greek and I've been to a lot of non-Greek weddings and there's a lot of participation in the, in the <laughs> ceremony. Like, you know, do you, they give a little, you In know, the non-Greek. In weddings, the, non-Greeks, yeah, the non-Greeks, yeah, the non-Greeks, you know. Uh, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, but in the Greek religion, there's no conversation, there's no... No, Latrevor, you know, no. uh, you know nothing. I well, am just thinking to myself, why is that?
2: You don't don't want the opportunity of like uh, pulling out at the last minute. Alex. That's you just what, want to uh, close the deal. So
1: you reckon the less said, the better. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it made me think, and I am thinking, you know, why? Why is that? And I, I said, I would love. I've been trying for many years to get a uh, religious. Um, advisor on this radio station. Unfortunately, uh, I've asked many priests, but a lot of priests are very scared because they feel that they may say something that that might be anti at or whatever. But I think it's important because we need to ask these questions because that's why religion to us is so Alien because we don't understand it every time we ask a question like, Why do we do a or why do we drink the the sacrificial wine or you know sa- sacramental <laughs> sacramental wine, sorry, something like that <laughs> the sacramental wine um, why do we do these things and i, I mean I, my, my my dear dad you know used to pull his hair out with me and say,Yah you know this <laughs> is I'm saying, but Dad, why? Why? And I would love to have a religious you know, advisor on this program to explain these to us, to make, make them not seem foreign. I'm sure. Mm.
2: I'm sure we could pick up a Greek Orthodox almanac somewhere and An Almanic. tell us. That. Um, I, I reckon. <laughs> There's got to be a website the, somewhere. The biggest unfortunate thing is that uh, funerals, where in the Greek Church, they don't actually allow, Well, they don't encourage um, having eulogies inside the church. I think that's a real shame mm-hmm. and a real loss of like uh, that connectivity for people. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in well, the church. Well, see,
1: I I I've been to a few funerals for my family members. And I, I actually, actually, well, I was asked by my family to give um, a eulogy at the at the church, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I think they've and, and, and the, the, priest, allowed and the priest allowed it. The priests allowed it. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't want to sort of um, you know blame it or not <laughs> blame, it, but but uh, you know point the bone at any priests, etc. But they were fantastic because at the end of the day, that is where you know the loved ones need it most. They need those comforting words. Then not after, you know, afterwards, mm. and um, and it was I, I no I remember it was my my Pop Wilkie the others wedding uh, funeral <laughs> uh, my cousin Com's funeral uh, my yeah uh, Lenny's funeral. I mean I, I I said all these I we gave eulogies
2: but it's 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 a beautiful thing where you, you can go to some funerals in that way and they celebrate the person's life by. You know, talking through. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, at, at my funeral, I want, I want, I want, I want speeches, and I
0: want wailing, you know, mm, and I want like sure. the full, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, horse-drawn carriages, that sort of stuff, and and I want to be cremated and like spread on the, you know, and Alex and I will go, be go, front
1: centre. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another thing. Why? Like, that's another question I have. Is why doesn't the Greek Orthodox religion um, allow cremation? Yeah, I don't know you know um you know at the end of the day it's up to each person to determine that and the other thing too is when you're at a funeral and you have the priest um giving the eulogy i mean the priest often doesn't know the person yeah that's right um you know and it's just a bit impersonal you know mm. anyway th- these are all questions if there is a a priest uh, a, a lovely priest out there who would love to be our religious advisor on this program we welcome you because these are questions that should be answered and they should not be sort of kept in the ether.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, one of the one of the issues for me is there's been uh, I don't know what the current status is, but but organ donation as well. You know, like we're in a position now where society is calling for organ donors, and, and I'm a fully subscribed organ donor, but uh, apparently the, the orthodox church thing? is not uh, is not down with that. So
1: I'm, I'm happy to donate <laughs> my uh, old Yamaha organ. Uh, to <laughs> <laughs> well, you're getting your your organs inspected this week, aren't you? I am I'm having in fact I uh, you know a shout out to to everyone who listens to this program to go and get your um, colonoscopies and endoscopies and um uh prostate checks and so forth. I think it's just very very important and um uh hopefully everything will be okay with me but uh I'm I'm having that procedure done on Wednesday and uh I'm on a very strict diet until then, which is actually not not a bad idea because I need to lose a few kgs. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's just very important that uh, that everyone, uh, if they if they have any telltale signs or or if they haven't had a, uh, for example, um, endoscopy colonoscopy for five years, go and get it done. You know, it's very very important.
0: If, uh, can I ask some uh, some unofficial medical advice? John? Sure, Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at, what, at what age do you feel like it's important that you go and start getting your, your regular medicals and your regular checkups done? Because I went to a doctor a few years ago, I had a migraine, and, and I said to the doctor, oh, you know, is this you know should I start coming back more regularly now that I'm middle-aged? And I think I was 30 at the time. And he said, oh, I'll come back in 15 years. Uh, well, they do talk
2: about, I don't know, 40 onwards type of thing, but like it just depends on like how you just see your whole body system
1: in a way, you know? I mean, I mean, in your current physical condition, Tom, I'd be going there on a six-monthly basis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a bit I, of pot action I, there, Alex. I, I think it's important to do to have a check, notwithstanding what age you are, at least once a year, um, you know, because there's something that, that a lot of people uh, neglect, which is their mental health as well. And I just think it's important to have that sort of relationship with a doctor that even if you're not ill, just to say, look, I want to check my, my bloods, uh, check my cholesterol, check my um, you know prostate, check all these all these things can be checked via a blo- just a blood sample. Um, very important. and it's also good to have those open conversations with your doctor. Look I'm, I'm not trying to you know buy another Mercedes for, for doctors, okay? <laughs> I mean the, <laughs> It's not trying to create more work for them, but um, uh, the, the, the job they they have is invaluable. and it's there, and we've got Medicare, which covers the cost, so cost shouldn't be an issue. Uh, go and get it done. Well, some
2: yeah, sound I'll, advice
0: there.
1: I was going to say,
2: on that note, do you do you think we're we're sort of at a, at a stage in how we're dealing with health that it is far more holistic than just ad hoc here and there that we decide to go get some checks and things? I mean, could it could be done a lot lot better, I suppose. Even you know, like what you're saying, mental health and other things and in, in being holistic about that.
0: Well, we'll be having a conversation about that today with our with our guest, Alex Christo, who we'll, uh, we'll have a chat with after the break. But um, one thing that, that I think has been mentioned in this program and that has been mentioned in, in conversations that I've had outside of here is that one of the overflows of, of COVID is that fewer and fewer people were getting their their regular ailments checked last mm. year, obviously. And, and those things are becoming really big problems now, um, in particular for the ambulance service, Um they're getting calls now from people who, you know, had had last year been a normal year, that, you know, medical issue probably would have been picked yeah, up. But yeah. but it wasn't. And now it's creating all sorts of problems for the, the health system. So, um, you know, Alex's advice is probably more, um, more pertinent than ever, really. Uh, time to get a check, in particular men, you know, who, who tend not to, you know, go to the doctor very readily.
1: Well, um, I mean, you only have to look at your own family. Um, how many... Of us, and I know Peter is the exception, but how many of us have mums but no dads? Um, uh, you know, Usually it's because um, our dads were involved in you know, working in factories or working on the land or whatever, that they're more susceptible to, to potential um, illness. Um, so it's just so important that we go and, um, and get these things checked on a regular basis. Um, there's no excuse these days, guys. We've got everything in our favour to, to get all these things done.
0: Absolutely, uh, very serious start to the program today. But we're <laughs> going to take, take a break and uh, and come back with a with a chat about, uh, I guess, the other side of of the health uh, equation that is uh, mental health, and that'll be with Alex Tristu, who uh, is managing director Asia Pacific for Thrive Global. This is, of course, bummyaka Fair, It's brought to you by Haki, the Hellenic Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And there's more information about this radio program available on the hockey Haki website, hockey.com.au and also via the social medias. And you can, also, uh, you can also find the link to our podcast on those social media platforms as well. We're going to be back in just a moment on Bamiya Cafe. <laughs> this is Bamiya Cafe on 3XY at Aviolas and also streaming via the podcast on iTunes and Spotify after the show. Um, joining us in the studio today uh, is Professor Alex Christou, who's Managing Director, Asia-Pacific for Thrive Global at Monash University. Alex, thank you Hello. for joining us. Welcome back.
3: Great to be with you all. I've been listening earlier and um, I'm wondering where this conversation will go, given that <laughs> we've covered sport, <laughs> weddings, vaccines, religion and Alex's colonoscopy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the answer is that this conversation can always go absolutely anywhere <laughs> and it, it, certainly, it's, it most certainly will. Um, I think it's been... About three years since the last time you joined us on the show, um, and that was immediately after you'd started at Thrive Global. And uh, you know, my understanding is that Thrive Global has changed vastly since that conversation
3: uh, a while back. Give us a quick recap on on what it is that Thrive Global is and does. Sure. So, founded by Arianna Huffington, Thrive Global's mission is to end the stress and burnout epidemic that's sweeping workplaces. And, and as we know, um, with uh, mental health. On the rise, the issues surrounding, you know, COVID. Uh, it's certainly been a busy time for Thrive Global, working with a number of organisations, both here in Australia, but through Southeast Asia and globally. Uh, we announced last year a partnership with Monash University. Here, it's a similar relationship that we have with some of the leading institutes within the US, in in Harvard, Wharton, and Stanford, who. Uh, provide us with the research that is the foundation to the work that we do so that everything is evidence-based. You know, We want to go in there and move the needle for organisations with respect to the well-being of their people so that it serves as a platform to greater performance and productivity um, uh and creativity. We know that when people are looking after themselves, the quality of their decision-making is enhanced, uh, the far more innovative, you know, creative and all those things. And and that's really, in essence, the, the work that we do uh, through a science approach. And so Monash uh, and the partnership there helps us dive into and leverage the Monash ecosystem and those centres of excellence that they have here um, around uh, you know, br- uh, brain science and sleep clinics. And uh, you know, the Faculty of Medicine is doing some terrific work around mindfulness and have been doing that since the early 90s, helps us localise and and, um, make far more potent the programs that we offer to organisations in this part of the world.
0: Yes, I was going to ask that question. You mentioned that you have partnerships with US universities, Mm -hmm. but obviously that's That's a whole different context, the US to Australia or Asia. How important is it to have that localised data in order to drive decision making?
3: Yeah, critically important. I meant, you know, um, organisations are spending a lot of money. They want to see impact. They want to see a return on their investment. They want to see potent programs that speak to their needs and their requirements. And, you know, if you look at Asia, uh, you know, uh, and, and we take responsibility for the ASEAN, Um, rollout of these programs, we know that Asia is not one homogenous continent. There are different, you know, ethnicities, uh, religions, languages, uh, customs, cultures, etc. And so to be able to tap into, you know, the university's work and its presence in Southeast Asia as well with campuses in Kuala Lumpur and a new one opening up in Jakarta later this year is uh, really an important footprint for us. So... um
0: Tell us, I guess from a practical perspective, what it is that Thrive
3: does and provides. Sure, sure. So what we do is we work with organisations around the well-being of their people and um, we use that as a, you know, I think a lot of organisations now understand that taking care of their people is a business imperative. It is a strategy in itself. It's an investment, isn't it? It's an investment in their people. And, you know, a lot of organisations are um, rightfully so putting their hand up and saying we care about our people and making that a very public public statement around that. They do that, of course, to increase the productivity of their organisation and their people, to retain the talent within their organisation, but equally to attract talent as well. And, you know, I mean, there are some you know businesses that are making this investment really well and then some are organizations that um, you know don't do it so well as well I mean there was a, a quote from um, a leading uh, you know property developer only days ago who um, said that you know for those uh, for those managers that allow people to work from home and to have that work-life balance well he simply referred to them as parasites mm-hmm. uh, which is, which <laughs> is interesting, work. right? Yeah, interesting. absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, he's, um, he's also said that employees working from home are really only working half the time. But we know from the research that that's not the case. People are actually working harder. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it be from home or having a, a hybrid workplace, both work uh, from home and in the office, you know, people are working, you know, harder, far more productive, and in some instances, longer hours as well one of the downsides that we've seen through COVID with respect to people working from home is that they're working longer hours. The the line between uh, work and life has become blurred as such. And particularly when organisations were exercising a great deal of austerity and and letting people go and think back towards the um, earlier stages of the the pandemic, people were trying to illustrate their value to their organisation by working longer hours, being connected 24-7. Uh, in the hope that you know they weren't going to be made redundant, and so th- you know there was a knock-on effect in terms of people's health as as a result of doing that, which we're we're obviously trying to address as well.
2: Well, Alex, in in my business here, <coughs> we, we found with the isolation was actually incredibly productive within the group. Um, yeah. There was definitely that isolation of people being amongst each other, but. Um, uh, you know, that there was that ability and that trust within the whole organisation that you could still be productive at home doing the things that you need to do in some ways because that's how we've always operated anyhow and we had right. faith in the people doing things. But we have a lot of introverted people in our organisation. It was actually really interesting that those people were the ones that wanted to be able to come back and actually interact in the office environment as we came back out of uh, isolation in uh, the late part of last year. Interestingly, but you, you just mentioned there are a couple of things. One um, that you obviously need to be able to show some outcomes for business owners or, or, or corporates, and that in some instances also, or many instances, like uh, people just don't care about what they're trying to do with their employees, and that will come out of you know come out of how they their organization is seen by others. But for those that are trying to make a difference, what are some of the the, the key Hate to use the word performance indicator or or notions that you're able to actually um, resonate with them, that they can actually see. You know what? I'm investing some things here, and I'm actually genuinely getting the things out of it that actually flows into my people, my my other uh, uh, factors in my business. What, what what are two or three things that like you know are front of mind there?
3: Yeah, so, you know, um, it's going to differ from one organisation to the next around what they put the priorities around. But, you know, we've seen with, um, you know, uh, organisations like Accenture globally, one of the reasons why they got involved with us to begin with was around retention. Um, They also wanted people better equipped to deal with their uh, mental health, um, their resilience. Um, And so for, for, for Accenture... That became the, the focus of the engagements that we had with them. You know, for, for other organisations, it's about attracting talent. Um, so how many more people are we getting applying for roles that are suitably qualified? Um, so it, it's it going to differ from one organisation to the next. There are productivity measures as well that some organisations use. Um, there's you know, the, the retention piece. Uh, so it, it's going to vary from one organisation to the yeah. next. <coughs> because
2: obviously when you're dealing with like this notion of soft soft skills, soft, you know, capabilities in an organisation and and on, and an organisation is still driven by, you know, outcomes, whatever that might yep. be, whether it's financial or some of these other indicators, mm. somehow you need to be able to tie that in yep. to, to show the value that you're offering. I mean, uh, people would end up knowing that there's a better, there's betterment in the whole organisation, but it's sometimes difficult to actually put your finger on it, isn't it?
3: It is, but it's also, I mean, what's, um, uh, you know, what... What we don't miss is the, f- the reality that mental health is costing organizations a lot of money uh you know the lost the lost productivity um you know people not being able to come to work and even in the case of um presenteeism so people coming to work but not being you know engaged with their work and uh, you know perhaps um, doing very little work at work um because of you know some issues that they may be facing so um yeah, to your point, uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of organisations and particularly senior leaders, I mean, we've really seen wellbeing um, be a, you know, something that's kind of buried in one section of HR, really be elevated to a strategic, you know, imperative that's on the mind of every C-suite, all because of COVID. Mm. So the pandemic was really a tipping point um, for many organisations to make this investment in their people. Yeah. And it's a reason why you know, Thrive in the US has grown by 980% in the last 12 months. Yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) Nothing like a pandemic to drive the bottom line. That's great.
2: (laughs) Is a big part of uh, your business model that you guys are actually working with these organisations and providing your IP around that? Or are you also spreading your knowledge and IP to other people to be able to take on the modelling that you guys have as well? Is that part of the notion of what you're doing?
3: Yeah, I mean, we share um, all our work with um, anybody who wants to listen, really, Um, and, You know, we've got uh, great partners, as I mentioned before, in some of the institutions in the US as well. So, you know, taking the work that is being done by Stanford Medicine, who through the work of Dr. Leanne Williams has identified eight specific biotypes of which we're all dominant in. These biotypes, think of them as thought patterns that we kind of get in a loop and stuck in. You know, if we ruminate, for example, where we overplay something that's just happened, um, you know, time and time and time again, both during and and after the event, well, that has a decline in terms of our mental well-being. And so through that research, we are able to provide people with the tools to address that specific biotype so that they don't end up down that rabbit warren of, you know, potentially depression and a whole heap of other issues. And with respect to stress, let me just add that stress is not an entirely bad thing. We all need an element of stress in our lives, Right. It's, uh, it's that stress. It's that a driver, us, right? It's a driver. It's it's what got you out of bed this morning, totally. Tom, right? Yeah. Um, the issue becomes when we have the accumulation of stress that if left unbroken, unchecked, is what causes the issues that we're seeing out in the real world.
1: Can I make a suggestion from a marketing perspective that <laughs> you target um, uh, the government sector, in particular um, Congress in America and uh, and certainly our our. Houses of Parliament in Australia. I mean, talk about dysfunctional workplaces. My goodness me. They are disgusting. I mean There's question with editorial. Here. I mean the the, the 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 level of narcissism in, in, in these institutions, if there was ever a need for, for your services, it's gotta be these institutions. Are, are there any governments that actually approach you? Because they're they they my view my view, they're the top candidates. <laughs> yeah
3: uh we um we are having conversations uh alex to your point so you know whether it be at ministerial level or you know in our state school system i mean i'm keen to see um these programs uh, rolled out to those professions that are most susceptible to stress and burnout and and one of those is is teachers right teachers Mm. are teachers are suffering right Um, and so you know we're keen to have those conversations we're chatting with uh, Professor Alex Christou from Thrive
0: Global and uh, Monash University. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with some more on Bamiyaka Fair. <laughs> you You're listening to Bamiyaka Fair on 3XY Radio Hellas and uh, <laughs> on the podcast, uh, Spotify and iTunes. After the show, you can catch up anytime you like. We've got uh, Professor Alex Christou, who's Managing Director, Asia Pacific for Thrive Global at Monash University in the booth with us today. And, uh Peter, you had an, uh, a question for Alex.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, Alex, uh, the, the, the work that you guys are doing and um, the, uh, the the vision that you guys have seems extraordinarily exciting. Uh, how does an organisation like mine that's got 20 to 30 people in it and um, we're continually trying to do some good things in and around our business, get access to like the, the types of things that you guys are doing and, uh, and have that integrated into our business? You know, as a business owner like me, I, I sort of feel like sometimes that's just way too inaccessible for like a small business, but like uh, if, if we could be attached to some ecosystem that we can actually get value out of that, that would be awesome.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Peter. And um, it is accessible for any organisation. Um, so we work with organisations as as, as, uh, as small as yours in terms of those numbers and through to, I think our largest client globally is, is Walmart with, um, did you know, 1.1 million employees? Wow right so um, real employees
2: or casuals uh, well yeah comb-
3: combination of all those things but you know to their credit i mean they're also rolling out these programs to um not only senior leaders but frontline people in distribution centers in warehouses and into their supply chains as well so you know we've seen a we've seen a shift in that respect but the but to 2 point you know um these programs are accessible and we really start with the leadership teams within each organization as well because what is critical is that Leaders within organisations leading others role model the right behaviours, right? Absolutely. There is is no point in going into an organisation and delivering a wellbeing program and uh, speaking to people about disconnecting when there's a requirement from their leader to stay connected and mm-hmm. to respond to emails at 11 o'clock at night. Yes, right? yes. So role modelling from leaders is incredibly important and I would say paramount in, in terms of the success of these programs in organisations, leaders being vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of their challenges and speaking quite openly about them and being frank about it is, is really important. But in terms of the science that underpins the programs that we offer is this notion of microsteps. And, and microsteps are the too-small-to-fail behavioural change pieces that we want to see in people because at the core of any good wellbeing program has got to be behavioural change. We need people to adapt new behaviours and habits. And so microsteps that are too-small-to-fail entrenched in the science are a means of achieving that. And let me give you an example. We typically all make New Year's resolutions and by the 31st of january 85% of them have completely uh, 85% of us have completely abandoned those you know and and the reason for that is in essence we give ourselves too great a leap to make right but through a series of micro steps those small incremental steps that you can take you're more likely to succeed so for example if you're a person who is stu- struggling with tech addiction and, and 24-7 connectivity, the last thing you want to be doing is taking your phone into the bedroom at night, right? And we've seen some really uh, poor and, 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 and devastating kind of behaviours where senior leaders are sleeping with their phones underneath their pillows at night. Why? Again, they want to be connected 24-7, accessible, and, and be seen as, uh, you know, contributing their value and self-worth in this way, right? Um but we know that it's gonna disrupt their sleep. Uh, They're gonna be fatigued the next day. Their creativity, their decision-making is going to be impacted upon. It's going to have an impact on the relationship if somebody is sleeping beside them in the bed. But we also know that um, the blue light that is emitted from your screen disrupts your brain's ability to create the melatonin for you to fall asleep at night. So a micro step could be, Peter, perhaps this evening, you um, stop looking at your phone in bed and half an hour before you go to sleep, you actually have it charging in another room. Mm-hmm. You know, buy a $15 alarm clock if that's yeah. your um, <laughs> device for waking up in the whole,
2: the, in whole the, leadi- the whole leadership thing that you're talking about there is very important because that executive or that owner or whoever that might be, um, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're connected in that way because they know that like, hey, they need to be connected to appease or get approval from their manager, their leader, whoever that might be. Whereas if they know, or if it's communicated in, the, in a proper way, they're like, no, no, no. This has got to be, you know, you know, at six or seven or eight, we're all good. We'll see you in the morning, yep. you know, depending on obviously, you know, the global nature of your business. But like, then that sort of sets that framework. I, I totally get what you're yeah.
3: saying. And, and look, there are occasions where we do have to stay up at night and work, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it's not about coming to work and sitting under a mango tree. We're all expected to come mm. to work, be productive and uh, produce a result. Um, but think of ourselves as a, as, as think of yourself as a corporate athlete. You know, an AFL player won't play a game and then go straight into another one and then another one after Mm, that. mm, mm. There's a recovery period. And so in those instances where you do need to work late or you do need need to be on a global call in the middle of the night, perhaps you're not in the office at 8am or 8.30am the next day. Mm. Perhaps there's a recovery period for you before you return to work. Mm. They're the kinds of conversations that we want senior leaders to to be having. And for them to know it's okay not to
2: rock up at 8 (laughs) o'clock.
3: Well, yeah. well it's, you know, it's also providing that psychological safety for people.
0: Yeah. But that, I mean, that, Alex, that's going to require in some organisations a, a sort of seismic shift in the way that senior leadership thinks. How is Thrive Global trying to influence that shift?
3: Yeah, so um, by presenting the data, by presenting the research, by presenting the, um, the results for those organisations who have made this investment in their people. Um, and, you know, there is not one organisation that we've worked with that has reduced its spend with us, you know, from one year to the next. It's actually increasing. Because they're seeing the results, they're seeing a happier workforce as a result. And ultimately that's what it's about.
1: Um, uh, Alex, what about, what about uh, structural things? For example, um, I'm just about to join a law firm that dis- has decided to tip the practice of law on its head and ad- adopts a different a- approach to how it engages with its staff. For example, every employee, doesn't matter whether you're a partner or whether you're the receptionist, becomes a shareholder in the company, right? Right. Um, they, uh, they've got this project called um, the Da Vinci Project and they basically pay for every member of staff to go and learn a new skill and then they give you five days off a year to go and practice that new skill. You know, um, you get you know a, a day off every year on your birthday. You know, things like this—they're not—they're simple things. Yes, you know, a lot of companies don't you know really harness that that alternative approach. It's true. To and managing your team
3: and and Alex, you know, I don't want to be disparaging toward law firms.
1: No, please do. <laughs> no, 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 they—they no, no. They need. <laughs> but I will.
3: But let me tell you, if you and I were to sit with a clean sheet of paper and design an organisation whose specific uh, outcome and goal and objective was to burn people out, it would be the contemporary law firm
1: yeah it's it's almost akin to exploitation it's just it's just incredible
3: <laughs> and we're seeing this in pockets in other industries as well I mean there's a um uh, a well publicized case of the Goldman Sachs analysts in the us right so these are you know first year second year analysts who are expected to work 100 plus
1: hours a week yeah right it's it's crazy
3: I mean and, and also <laughs> in the consulting space as well yeah and in the, the, the consulting part. space yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and, you know, I mean, in the level of narcissism at that, that, you know, that top level, you know, they say, you know, the fish, you know, rots from the head down. Mm. Um, when you have narcissists in position of power and it permeates down the organisation, I mean, now, you know, with the next generation of narcissists, you know, is being bred from. But, you know, h- how, do, how do you stop that when really, I suppose, your client is the managing director? Uh, and and how do you how do you say to them? Look, you know, actually, we think your company has significant problems, and you're the cause of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. about self awareness, isn't it? We
3: we we call it compassionate directness. <laughs> <laughs> and we I like that. we have those <laughs> very, di- very direct conversations with managing directors and boards and and senior leaders. Um, but you know, ultimately, Alex, um, employees will vote with their feet in due course. Uh, and if the organisations want to retain the talent and the tacit knowledge that exists within their employee base, they're going to have to make this investment or they will go elsewhere. We've um, we've had many conversations on this program in recent weeks about the
0: impacts of COVID. So we don't necessarily want to ask you about what the impact that COVID had. But now we're seeing a shift, you know, particularly in Australia where, um, you know, employees are being required to go back to the office and that's probably causing a whole range of, of new headaches. Can you tell us a little bit about what, um, what some of the issues that people are facing now and what they might continue to face into the future as, as we sort of return to something
3: that looks like normal? Yeah, so there's a lot of friction out there at the moment that's being reported by a lot of employees and, uh, and their organisations. So the requirements that they return back to the workplace full-time Having just illustrated over the course of the last twelve to fourteen months that they are just as productive, they are just as impactful, they are just as you know hardworking as they have been in the past, so this is creating a great deal of angst in a lot of you know workplaces. There's no doubt about it, and the sentiment is is this, Tom. They're they're kind of um, you know feeling as though that they're not being trusted, right? And and if you're not being trusted, how engaged are you going to be with that organisation as an employee moving forward? Chances are you're not. And so you know um, uh, there is there is that you know being played out along with you know the the mental health issues that people are facing. You know the the isolation. Um, you know for many um, the anxiety. I mean you know uh, there's been a lot of layoffs. The job insecurity has probably been uh, at, 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 at the lowest it's been for, for a number of years in this country. And so, you know, that's playing on, the, on people's minds as well. So, you know, you've got all these, you know, pressures and uncertainties that people are facing that are just making, that are really um, uh, making the issue far more complex than what it traditionally has been. But what we do know is that, you know, COVID with the vaccine rollout, um, you know, going on and, and hopefully we can get this population here in Australia vaccinated, you know, sometime soon in full so that borders can open and so forth. And and that may happen in the middle of next year. But we know that the mental health crisis that the pandemic has caused will last a number of years. And, and I remind you all that, you know, we already had a mental health crisis before the pandemic mm. came along. Uh, the pandemic has just exasperated the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, um, I, I think the last time that you came in to have a chat with us, Alex, um, I don't think you had a, a prof in front of your name. No. Um, what's <laughs> uh, we'll just change tack a little bit. What sure. you know, what's what, what's your journey
3: been like over the the last few years? Yeah, look, it's it's um, it, it's it's been a it's been it's been a great journey, right? So um, you know, I've been in business schools and involved in business schools for over two decades. Uh, delivering on customised programs and open programs, you know, globally, overseeing one of the, um, you know, the nation's uh, um, m- most, uh, you know, reputable and sought after MBA programs. And so, um, you know, to, to leave that world behind and that connectivity they had to senior leaders was always going to be difficult. Mm. But, you know, when you have the opportunity to join Ariana in this global movement around well being um, and protecting people's health, that's an opportunity you can't say no to uh, and particularly given her profile and, you know, her reach and um and the fact that she's a very generous, you know, leader who um, espouses everything that she says. Uh, you know, um and so she certainly walks a talk. And so, you know, to, to join Thrive was, was a no brainer. And then I could see the synergies. So having spent, you know, eighteen months with um with Thrive, I could see the synergies between what Thrive was doing and the universities and business schools. And so it, it kind of made sense for me to actually bring the two together and then come in in this professorial role to oversee that relationship as, as managing director. And so as I said before, to have access into the wealth of researchers and academics across the Monash University ecosystem to help inform these programs uh, has just been um, extraordinary. And, you know, we're helping the university also commercialise a lot of work in this space as well. So, um, universities have traditionally kind of struggled perhaps with commercialising some of their research and I think that's something that Thrive does really, really well.
0: Um, Ariana Huffington has, mm. correct me if I'm wrong, has a, a Greek background. She does, uh, Sassanopoulos. Have you had a chance to
3: sit down for nozaki at some point? <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, COVID's kind of gotten in the way of that. Yeah. Um, we did have a, a wonderful evening in, in New York um, a few um, years ago, well before covid um, and, uh, and and that's kind of what led to this opportunity of bringing Thrive into the region. So a bit like the, the medical fraternity
2: over the last twenty years, where they actually vet their um, medical graduates or undergraduates going into their courses for you know human empathy. Uh, is that part of like what's happening in the in the business schools of the world and or the the leading businesses around the world where they're actually saying? over the last 20 years, we'll have less narcissist pleas and we'll have more sort of empathic people that are coming through. Is, is is that something that's actually proactively looked at both at the business school community and what you're doing into organisations and leading organisations around the world?
3: Yeah, Peter, you know, if there's one attribute that um, has become a necessity f- uh, for every leader since the pandemic, it's empathy and being able to exercise empathy toward our, you know, staff and, and those that we lead. And so like any good business school, those um, issues or needs of the business community have to be served by the business school. And so when you look at, um, you know, Monash and its MBA program and global executive MBA program, they've actually embedded Thrive into the core of the curriculum there. So everybody that's going through those programs now at executive level or or at any level is now being, um, is now entrenched in the, in the Thrive learnings. Sadly, bad
0: news. Uh, we have run out of time uh, with our with uh, Alex Christie Professor Alex Christie. But um, <laughs> just just before we do let you go, um, you know, if there are any businesses like Peter's or Alex's out there who do want to get in touch and and perhaps get involved,
3: how do they find out more? Yeah, so the easiest way is through the website which is um thriveglobal uh, hyphen apac.com. Cool.
0: Professor Alex Christou, Managing Director, Asia Pacific for Thrive Global at Monash University. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back to wrap it up on Bamiya Cafe. <laughs> we have reached the end of another episode of Bamiya Cafe here on 3XY Radio Elas. And, uh, gentlemen, another great chat with uh, Alex Lovely. Christou today. Yeah. Yeah, we learned Very a hell inspiring. of a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But we have reached the end of our allocated time here on 3XY, which means we must thank everybody who makes this program possible. That is, of course, 3XY. And Haki, the Hellenic Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and all of Haki's partners, which include uh, the Bank of Sydney, Just Gold and Hellenic Power. And, of
1: course, gentlemen, you too. And you mm-hmm. too, Tom. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Absolutely, you, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> the anchor. The, the the you're you're like our captain, coach <laughs> <laughs> on the field.
0: <laughs> no worries. I'm glad to play that role. Uh, thanks also to Professor Alex Christo, managing director of Asia Pacific for Thrive Global at Monash University. We have reached the end of another episode of Bummy Yak Cafe. You can check it out on the podcast as well, which is available on Spotify and iTunes. But for now, and until we speak to you next time, yes, yes, yes.